season as Lawrence, Kansas is suddenly the center of the college football universe. Fair Park, the Cotton Bowl, Tuscaloosa, Texas A&M and Alabama suddenly relegated to page eight of your local newspaper. Welcome along to the week six preview of the three technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason joined by Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, not able to join us tonight. Some some technical uh, issues, some difficulties that have gone on to pull the curtain back. And if you follow us on Twitter at 3TechPod, you will know that we are on take three now of tonight's podcast. For whatever reason, our hosting platform has been booting us off all night, basically deleting the files. So here we are, Trey. We are doing everything we can to get this recording out to the people um, late night on a Wednesday night, we just watched SMU get destroyed by UCF. I mean, what more could you want, right? Yeah, we're here. Hopefully I'm going to be here as long as I can. Maybe you might get a solo show from Mitch later if my, uh, bandwidth decides to crap out as well, but we're here to talk some college football and what a week do we have in store? And you're absolutely right. It feels like a glitch in the matrix. It feels like you're 10 years in on an NCAA dynasty file. And it's yep. like, huh? Kansas is good. Oh, Syracuse is good. All right. Awesome. TCU and Kansas are getting game day. That feels like something you would see 10 years deep in an NCAA dynasty file, but this is real life and we are here for it. That's right. So many, so many benchmarks, historical milestones. It feels like a throwback to the 2008 season, uh, a, a glimpse into the 2009 season as well. The last time that the Kansas Jayhawks were ranked. We'll get into all of that and more coming up. First, of course, the housekeeping. If you're new to the show, welcome. So glad to have you be a part of the 3Tech family. If you've not subscribed, please head over to Apple, Spotify, the major platforms and do so. It helps us continue to grow the show. Also head over to at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. You'll find a lot of fun, relatable content. We have conversations with fans like you each and every day. And again, Helps us grow the show, reach more of the college football fan base. Uh, Trey, we've got listeners from coast to coast. We continue to grow on a weekly basis. We were reviewing some of the numbers today. Uh, It really is just week over week growth, month over month growth, and we're really excited to see where we can continue to go here. But without any further ado, my friend, if you will hit that news sound, a couple items to get to here. More Power 5 jobs are suddenly open, Trey. It was like you cursed the man up in Camp Randall. We were talking about Paul Chris being maybe on the hot seat. Literally two hours after we recorded the podcast on Sunday, he's out at Wisconsin. Jim Leonard now takes over as the interim. Um, Really, really weird scenario there where Paul Chris was, for his career, very successful at Wisconsin. The last couple of seasons, maybe not so much, but an interesting, unexpected opening there for the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah, I need to watch what I say on this platform because I spoke it into the microphone, just kind of questioning, you know, we talked about we don't have a lot of pulse on the fan base in Wisconsin. We're kind of geographically removed from them down here in Texas. But I was just starting to question, maybe his seat's starting to get a little bit warm. But holy cow, two hours later, our phones are blowing up that yeah, Paul Chris is out and he is done at Wisconsin. So we joke around here. He is literally the doppelganger of Garrett's dad. So hopefully Garrett's getting to spend some more time with his dad. Um, I'll have to see if I can get some permission to post some photos on Instagram to give let you guys in on the joke. But yeah, I mean, just so surprising. Uh, Carl Durrell also out at Colorado. That one's significantly less surprising from an on-the-field results standpoint, but yeah, just two big time openings and power programs and programs that could be built into power programs very quickly, I think. Um, open for business, open for hire. 
Well, I mean, even Colorado, recent national championship success yeah. is, is as early as the late, not early, as late as the late nineties. You had all those Big Twelve showdowns against Texas, against Oklahoma, against Nebraska back in the day, and now, I mean, the Buffs are well on their way to going zero and twelve. So, so to my friends in the Colorado athletic department, hang in there. It's got to get better eventually. Just keep keep your head down and uh, thoughts and thoughts and prayers out to those in Boulder. Uh, last news item: Lance Leipold. Obviously having tremendous success at Kansas. He said this week emphatically, I'm not going anywhere. He is without a doubt the most popular name around the coaching carousel, but he reaffirmed his commitment to Lawrence, to the Kansas Jayhawks, and I say good for him. I hope he builds Kansas into something that has some staying power in the new Big 12. I hope so too, and I hope it's more than just words. As we're in this era, we talk about it being a weird year. I think part of that is good coaches deciding to stay at their building projects we've had you know for decades there's been these stepping stone jobs that coaches will build up for a couple years they go on to a bigger and better job for more money rightfully so that's their right to do that but that stepping stone program kind of gets left in the dust i really hope with this era of nil and the transfer portal and more access to talent they would get more of these really good coaches staying put and staying at places like kansas so Wisconsin's going to be a tough job to turn down if you're Lance Leipold. It would be kind of a homecoming after his time at Wisconsin Whitewater. So credit to him if he decides to stay at Kansas instead of going into that, you know, jump up job up north. Credit to him. I really hope that that happens. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a win-win for Wisconsin at this point. It certainly seems like they fired Paul Christ to give uh you know their their interim coach a chance to win some easy games the schedule evens out a little bit it feels like you know maybe one of those those decisions where the athletic department says okay let's not let the guy that we actually wish would leave build up some more some more momentum some more credibility and instead you go to an elongated job interview right so we'll see what happens there with Wisconsin but you're right Lance Lance Leipold until Wisconsin for sure makes a decision will be linked to Wisconsin. He'll be linked to Nebraska, probably a host of other jobs as well, but a number of power five jobs currently open. You can be sure that those are not the last to open up and uh, we'll continue to cover the, the coaching carousel as it begins to spin in earnest. But Trey, let's get to the headliners for this week. These are the cannot miss games on your television set this weekend. Just two time slots that we've identified in three games. And let's start with the game of the week. America has finally recognized it. We go to Lawrence, Kansas. It's where game day will be for the first time in program history. There are now only six programs that have never hosted game day. Kansas can no longer be counted among them. They host the number 17 ranked TCU Horn Frogs, who are seven point favorites on the road against the Jayhawks. You can watch this on FS1 Saturday morning at 11 a.m. TCU, a 4-0 team, they're coming off a just, I mean, badgering of Oklahoma. They destroyed them in Fort Worth last week. Kansas is 5-0. They're ranked for the first time since 2009. Which way are you leaning in this game? It seems like TCU has probably the better team, the more talented team. But gosh, Kansas is red hot and they're starting to believe. This is going to be an absolutely fun quarterback matchup because on one side with the Kansas Jayhawks, you've got um, Jalen Daniels, who has just been electric this year, especially on the ground. They have really utilized his legs really well. And he's been competent throwing the ball as well. I know their offense kind of sputtered a little bit last weekend against Iowa State. That Iowa State defense is really good. Matt Campbell's known for having a good defense at Iowa State. So I'm not worried about that becoming a trend for Kansas. But on the other side of the ball, you've got Max Duggan, who, you know, what a roller coaster ride of a career that he's had at TCU. He's on a heater right now. And Max Duggan and Sonny Dykes looks like a match made in heaven that's going to cause a lot of problems in the Big 12. So they've already caused a lot of problems for SMU. They've already caused a lot of problems for Oklahoma. The rest of the schedule needs to look out and take notice that this is a really good combination. So two really good offenses, two defenses that have been opportunistic, have stepped up in spots. I look at TCU for... The first half of that SMU game, I look at Kansas last week against Iowa State. The defense has stepped up in spots, but the offenses are going to steal the show here. And I think it's hard to peg exactly how that's going to fall. I want to believe in Kansas. I want them to pull this out. I want them to be the first bowl eligible team in the country so badly. 
But for whatever reason, I just can't get over seeing TCU in person, seeing how they just dominated a team we thought was going to be really good in SMU. Obviously, that looks a little different after the results tonight yep. in Central Florida. But <laughs> seeing TCU just dominate two teams in a row in SMU and Oklahoma that we thought were pretty good has me really excited about the Horn Frogs. I'm going to pick them to cover this seven-point spread this week. Garrett's also on the Horn Frogs. He's got TCU minus seven. I'm I agree with everything that that you said and and Garrett wrote in his notes. That, look, TCU is the better team. They've got more on defense. They're they're on a heater as far as their quarterback goes and Max Duggan, which he has a tremendous story. If you do not know his story, please go seek that out. Um, there are many others who have done a far more eloquent job of of painting all those steps than I can do here in just a few minutes, but well worth a, a Google search there. I'm going to take Kansas, though. I'm going to say Kansas at home, plus seven. I want to believe, man. I want to believe in this feel-good story. Not that TCU wouldn't be a feel-good story if they did something special this year, but Kansas is is like quickly becoming America's sweetheart, and they've just been comically bad for so long that I want to believe that that Kansas keeps this close. They make this a ball game, and, and they can find a way to eke it out in the end. I think that Jalen Daniels is the better quarterback in this matchup. I don't know about the defense. I certainly think that leans towards TCU. But then again, there's a lot of games that we didn't expect Kansas to win, uh, and and here they are. So give me a historic win game day there in Lawrence. uh, Kansas plus the seven, and I'll ride with the Jayhawks. Let's head out west to the Pac-12 game of the week, which it's nice to see the Pac-12 getting some love again, some, some attention. They've been kind of the doormat of the Power Five for for a long time, and the Conference of Champions has been more of a joke than it actually has been a moniker. But they're turning that around a little bit this year. We've got number 11, Utah, four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in the Rose Bowl against UCLA, the 18th-ranked team in the country. You can watch this Saturday afternoon on Fox at 2.30 p.m. if you are in the central time zone. Trey, I know we're going to differ here, and and you're going to take Utah – Explain to me why Utah is is your pick, and then I'm on UCLA. I'll take their side in just a second. Well, first of all, I love me some UCLA. I was the one beating the drum for the Bruins this offseason saying, hey, we need to watch out for what's going on in on the other side of Los Angeles. All the attention's on USC, but there's a lot of exciting things happening, especially on the offensive side of the ball for UCLA. I love me some DTR. I love me some Zach Charbonnet. But man, has this matchup been one-sided in recent years. Kyle Whittingham and Utah, they've just had the Bruins number since 2017. The average final score of this game is 45-14 to 14 Utah. Okay, Now, I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means this year. I think UCLA is much improved. If they keep this up, they might be the most improved team in the country this year because, man, it's just what Chip Kelly's done the last couple of years in take, bringing that program back has just been awesome to watch from afar. But I just think Utah is going to be, has a couple more proven playmakers. Now they did lose their leading receiver and their tight end. And I think that's going to be really hard to replace, but seeing the way that they handled a plucky Oregon state team last week, seeing the way they bounced back from that Florida loss. I think they have more, a more complete team. Now UCLA has proven a lot. They had a really soft opening to the schedule. They looked really good against Washington. They were blowing out Washington before Washington scored a couple of garbage time touchdowns last week. So this is going to be a close back and forth game. I like the four and a half point spread. I think that's a really good line. I think Utah comes into Los Angeles and kind of tempers those expectations a little bit, though. I'm going to take them to cover. I think their defense is going to step up. And I think UCLA has kind of had an advantage on the line of scrimmage in their first five games this year that they're not going to have against Utah. And I think Utah exploits that. Yeah, I, I think Utah, if they do come in and dominate and are the more physical team, they will win this game, and they'll, they might even run away with it. And, I, and when I say run away, I mean really win by two scores, right? Yeah, 10 to UCLA, 14 points. Yeah, UCLA has not played a team that will be as physical or I don't even think as talented as Utah, although last week's win over Washington was extremely impressive. I'm going to take UCLA, and here's why. When you look at what Florida did so well against Utah. And again, it's week one. It is unwise to judge an entire team and their season based off of what happens in week one. 
But I think we can learn some lessons there. And what Florida did was they stopped the run and they made it really hard for Cam Rising to throw the ball downfield. They, they got to the quarterback. They made him make some mistakes, made him hurry some throws. Now, he only threw one pick at the very end there, but Florida kept him off his spot all night long. UCLA is fourth in the country in rush defense. They're giving up about 78 yards per game. They also harassed Michael Penix uh, really, really well last week. They got him off his spot. He threw, what, three interceptions? It was, it was not a good look. An explosive Washington offense. Washington's offense is more explosive than Utah's. You mentioned the injuries that the Utes uh, are dealing with. Utah's the more physical team, but again, I kind of like the home team here. You showed me you can play defense last week. You showed me you could force some turnovers, and I know that offense has not looked good against Utah in years past. But DTR also hasn't slung the ball like he has in in weeks past this season. So the passing game looks like it is the most improved version under Chip Kelly since he arrived at UCLA. You throw in Zach Charbonnet, who's been getting whatever he wants on the ground. I think it's a recipe for success against UCLA, at the very least, to keep it within maybe a field goal game. So I'm going to take the Bruins plus the four and a half. Reading Garrett's notes, he's on the Utes as well, minus the four and a half. So I'm the only one sticking up for the Bruins right now uh, as, as far as the picks. I know you love them, but you are picking against them this week. I do love the Bruins, and I think a lot is still on the table. This is a tough stretch. It's a tough back-to-back with Washington. But we also have to remember, it is so hard at this point in the season to definitively say in this range of teams who's good and who's not. Because we're all higher on UCLA right now because they beat a Washington team that we thought was really good because they handled Michigan state. And now Michigan state is not looking very good a couple weeks later. So (laughs) the transitive property is not something you can use ever to decide and pick a game in college football, but it's just so hard to know for definitively who is actually good right now. We'll get some more clarity this week. If UCLA can hang with Utah or maybe even pull this one out at home again, then yeah, then we're able to say definitively that UCLA is good. I agree. This is a big-time statement game for both teams. Let's go to the SEC game of the week, which, uh, unlike what we all thought it would be in the preseason when we had A&M at Bama circled on the calendar, we'll get to that in our second screen games. We are going with number 8 Tennessee on the road in Baton Rouge against the number 25 LSU Tigers. Saturday ESPN, 11 a.m. kick. Tennessee 4-0, they're fresh off a bye week. LSU is 4-1. They escape Auburn last week with a come-from-behind win. Trey, LSU was down 17-0 at one point and had to rally the troops. I'm on Tennessee here. I've got Tennessee minus three as my lock of the week. I think Hendon Hooker is the better quarterback. I, I Their defense scares me a little bit, but an 11 a.m. kick, the Cajuns don't have that much time to get lubed up to create a truly imposing atmosphere. Like I said, give me uh, give me the Stone Cold Lock of the Week as the Tennessee Volunteers minus the three. Yeah, you say LSU is not going to have time to get lubed up. They will 100% have time to get lubed up because <laughs> that's what they do. So they've also already tweeted, hey, the gates are going to be open. Beer is going to be flowing inside the stadium at 9 a.m. So, yeah, they, they won't have a problem. But back to the game, I mean... This game is going to be a great test and benchmark for both of these teams. You know, if LSU is somehow able to pull this one out at home, all of a sudden Brian Kelly's stock is absolutely soaring after it took a huge dip to start the season against Florida State. If Tennessee is able to go into Death Valley and win against a ranked LSU, I know they're barely in the top 25, but it's a ranked LSU team at home. That's a good win, no matter which way you slice it, if they're able to get it. Georgia's really going to start looking over their shoulder at Tennessee and Tennessee is going to be able to start separating themselves from Kentucky a little bit for second place in the wet in the East and all that that entails for bowl positioning and stuff like that. So huge opportunity for both of these teams. Hinton hooker has just absolutely dazzled, but the secondary at LSU is going to really be a great test for him. I think they made uh, will Rogers who has just done whatever he's wanted this year, look very pedestrian when they faced him a couple weeks ago. Um, they've got athletes all over that secondary, future NFL guys all over that secondary. And Hinton Hooker and these Tennessee wide receivers are going to have their toughest matchup of the year so far. So 
it's going to be interesting to see. I think that keeps this game closer um, for the first maybe three quarters of the game. But we talk about Tennessee's defense. We talk about how that's probably their Achilles heel this year against better teams. I just don't know if this current version of LSU is the team to exploit that Tennessee defense. So if Tennessee is able to get rolling, if Hendon Hooker is able to complete passes against this talented secondary, which all indications say he will because that's just what he does, then I don't know if LSU is able to keep up, and that's why I'm picking Tennessee minus three. It, uh, Garrett is on Tennessee minus three as well. If you're wondering why on earth is this line so low, Tennessee has certainly looked like the better team. They're in the top ten. They're coming off a bye. I think part of that is because LSU traditionally has dominated this series. Certainly over the last several meetings, LSU has won the last five uh, matchups in a row. Going into Baton Rouge, it's not an easy task, but I think we both like the quarterback for the Vols much, much more. Tennessee's been actually very good against the run. It's the pass that's given them a little bit of trouble, but I still think making LSU one-dimensional, taking away John Emery in that rushing attack, it's going to make uh, Jaden Daniels have to throw the ball exclusively, and I don't know that LSU is equipped to do that this year's team anyway. So give me the balls. We're all on Tennessee, uh, and like I said, I locked them up. Those are your headliners. Those are your games that Certainly in the first two windows, we would advise you find time to be near a plasma, be near a big screen where you can watch those games. Those should be really, really competitive games, but those are not the only games you should be paying attention to this weekend. If you are a college football enthusiast, sicko, however you describe yourself, may we introduce you to the big screen games, the rest of the games that can occupy a main television screen in your household Let's start with the Red River Rivalry, the Cotton Bowl, Saturday, ABC. It is an 11 a.m. kick for those in God's time zone. The Texas Longhorns are seven-point favorites over the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, This is an interesting game, Trey, because for the first time in 30-plus years, I think it's 32 years, neither team is ranked coming into this game. In the preseason, you always have expectations that one of these two teams, at the very least, will be competing for a Big 12 title, and right now, that just does not look to be the case. Both teams are 3-2 and two coming in. Oklahoma doesn't even know who their quarterback is going to be on Saturday with D- Dylan Gabriel still nursing a concussion. You've got the choice between General Booty, uh, junior college transfer, and America's favorite quarterback, and a three-star true freshman who was underwhelming as all get-out last week against the Horn Frogs. Meanwhile, for the Longhorns, you possibly get Quinn Ewers back. You're getting healthier. Xavier Worthy looked very good last week. It seems like Texas could certainly make a statement this week as they are the healthier team with more momentum. Which way are you leaning in a rivalry contest? Yeah, it sure seems like this is a huge opportunity for Texas to go up I-35 and just make an absolute statement by not just beating their rival, but blowing them out because all the pieces are there. I know it's a rivalry game. I know that this game is just absolutely bananas every year. Like, the cliche is you throw the records out when it's a rivalry game. This game every single year is truly throw the records out because either team could win, either team could perform, either team could just not show up for a half of football like we saw with Oklahoma in the first half last year. So it's hard to definitively say this is what's going to happen. But of all the years, you just feel like this is the one that Texas kind of puts it all together, right? Quinn's supposed to be coming back. Oklahoma has no idea who's going to play quarterback. The skill position talent looks better for Texas. I know there's still question marks on the offensive line. There's still question marks on the defense for sure for the Longhorns. But, man, they've just looked more resilient. They've looked more battle-tested this year. Oklahoma, even before the Dylan Gabriel injury last week, was folded like a cheap lawn chair when TCU started throwing haymakers. So I'm just not confident that Oklahoma is going to respond well like they did last year. If, if, if it happens like it did last year where Texas jumps out to an early lead, put it to bed because Oklahoma has not shown that they can be resilient enough to fight back the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to take Texas to cover. I know when you believe in Texas the last few years, that's exactly when they just throw it all out the window and yeah. someone's monkey bites a kid and just all hell breaks loose. But I think it's safe to pick Texas this week. I think it's okay to pick them. I'm going to roll with them this week. I, like I said, 
I said this two weeks ago, I want to say. Maybe it was last week. Whichever way I pick uh, for the Texas Longhorns, lock it up. The opposite. I am so bad at picking the outcome of Texas and Texas A&M games, although unfortunately last week I was right about Mississippi State. Um, In my notes, I have Oklahoma plus seven. So take it to the bank. Go ahead and lock up the Longhorns. Congratulations on you know, your, your winnings. I'll, I'll say this. Everything is going against Oklahoma in this game. They have been kicked, beaten, bullied on social media, and they deserve quite a bit of it. I mean, that team looked like they quit against TCU. The reason why I'm going to take Oklahoma plus a seven is more than just it's a rivalry game and they will get up for the Texas Longhorns. I'm going to believe in their coach. I know the Oklahoma Twitter people, which are some of the angriest people on Twitter, to be quite honest. I know y'all are ready to sink the whole program and start afresh, right? I mean, it's been apparent that you are not happy with the current situation. But Brent Venables is known for getting the best out of his team, specifically on the defensive side. Now, it's going to be an incredible challenge if you don't have your quarterback, and that I truly don't have an answer for. What I do know is my gut says that Venables rallies the troops He gets every drop out of that lemon that he possibly can this week against your most hated rival uh, on the road when everybody is telling the Longhorns, hey, you should win this game. You should win it comfortably. There is no reason why you should lose this game. And Trey, like you said, in those situations, Texas finds ways to lose games. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to lose this game. I will not say that the Longhorns lose this. Texas outright all day long. I do wonder if they can cover, and so that's why I'm going to take Oklahoma plus the seven. Not, I don't feel great about it, but I do feel at least confident that this should be a game for a half. Maybe Texas runs away in the second half, just too much B. John Robinson, too much Xavier Worthy. A healthy Quinn Ewers could, could turn this thing into a crock-potting real fast. But I'm going to, to go with my gut here. I'll take Oklahoma plus the seven. For what it's worth, Garrett is also backing the Sooners plus seven. Not to win, but to cover. Let's go out to the ACC, Florida State, and number 14, NC State, squaring off. This is a Saturday night contest on the ACC Network at 7 p.m. FSU and both, uh, I'm sorry, both FSU and NC State, 4-1. and one, They're both coming off losses to ranked teams. I'm going to go under Think Express here. I was more impressed with NC State and their loss to Clemson than I was Florida State and their loss to Wake Forest. NC State's the better team, in my opinion. They're at home. They're under the lights. Um, I I don't think that they're going to make the playoff, obviously, now, but I I do believe more in NC State than Florida State in 2022. Listen, my Florida State Roth IRA, we are going to see 8 to 12% return uh, this year. I'm very happy at where I bought my stock. That's a set it and forget it, see in 15 to 20 years, hypothetically speaking, of course, and uh, we cash in on the back end. This this is not Florida State's year. I I had them losing this game preseason. This does not derail you in any way, shape, or form. I still believe in Mike Norvell and what he's doing there. That being said, give me the Wolfpack. Give me the better quarterback in Devin Leary. He gets back on track and beats the Knolls at home. Yeah, I'm right there with you. NC State's my stone-cold lock of the week. I think I need to trademark also the term double letdown because, you know, two weeks in a row, we've had one of those last week. It was tech Kansas state, two teams coming off of big wins. This is two teams, kind of the opposite, but still a letdown situation where it's two teams coming off of just kind of deflating losses, Florida state losing to wake at home. NC State losing to Clemson on the road. I agree. I was more impressed with NC State and their defense's ability to hang in there with Clemson than I was with Florida State. Just really kind of the score looked closer than that game actually was last week for Florida State and Wake Forest. So uh, NC State has the better quarterback. I think they also have the better defense by a lot. So I'm going to go NC State taking care of business at home. Uh, Garrett is backing the Wolfpack as well. That puts all three of us on NC State. CC freezing cold takes because that's right. Yeah, we'll 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 see you in the victory circle there, Florida State. Uh, back out west to the Pac-12, number six USC getting thirteen against Washington State. This seems like a really large number to me. Sat Saturday at Fox, six thirty p.m. 
Wazoo four and one, USC five and zero. My analysis here: that is so many points for a defense uh, in, in USC that we still don't fully understand. I think we get how explosive this offense is. Washington State's offense has not been what we expected it to be, but still, they're a scrappy team. You never want to see Washington State rolling into town. I'm going to take the candy here and take two out of three outcomes. Give me the the uh, the Cougars here on the road to cover. Keep it at least competitive. It's a tempting spread for sure. And I think coming into this year, I personally was really excited about this Washington State offense. You know, we got Cam Ward coming up from Incarnate Word. Kind of similar situation to Bailey Zappi from last year. But that offense really, outside of the Oregon game, which they lost, hasn't shown up in these big games. It hasn't shown up. They beat Wisconsin, but that was on the backs of their defense. They won that game 17-14. to 14. So I'm a little soured on this Washington State offense, and I'm really concerned going down to the Coliseum, going down to a big night game at USC, because it's kind of a night game, more of an afternoon game on the West Coast. But I'm a little concerned with their ability to keep up if they give up a couple of scores, because Washington State's defense has looked a little suspect, especially in the second half of that Oregon game. Yep, I'm really concerned about their ability to keep up. Also, we say it's a big line. I know USC didn't cover against Arizona State last week, but they've done a really good job of covering spreads at home this year. They had the weird game up in Corvallis, but they've done a really good job of covering spreads against teams that they are better than. I think they're better than Washington State. I think maybe it's a late touchdown. Maybe it's sort of a slow cooking, but I think USC gets the job done coverage. Uh, Garrett is on the Palouse as well. He'll take Wazoo plus 13. Back to the SEC, Arkansas and Mississippi State squaring off. Mississippi State currently a eight-point favorite of the 23rd ranked team in the land. Saturday, 11 a.m. on the SEC Network. Now, we want to preface this because if KJ Jefferson doesn't go for Arkansas, which right now it kind of looks like he's not going to, then this gets relegated to a second screen game, or maybe you're just checking this one in the app because Mississippi State looks really good. And and not to say that we told you so, Arkansas fans, but we highlighted this a lot in the preseason takes. This is such a brutal schedule for the Hogs. And and obviously you can never predict an injury. We we hate that KJ Jefferson got hurt last week, uh, the way that he did with a concussion. But when you stack up as many quality opponents in a row as Arkansas does on this schedule, I mean, it was just I couldn't get Arkansas to nine or ten wins without really squinting and and kind of predicting chaos at a bunch of other programs. And so far, we're not really seeing that. In fact, maybe the team that's in the most upheaval in the SEC West is Texas A&M, and you still lost to them. So for me, especially without your starting quarterback, I don't see any way that Arkansas keeps this close. Um, initially, I thought that's a lot of points to give away for Arkansas, but but without your leader and, and, and true engine of the offense, Give me Mississippi State. They're on a roll right now. Mike Leach has got things working there uh, in Stark Vegas. Yeah, even with KJ Jefferson, this just kind of feels like two teams going in opposite directions, right? Arkansas had all the hype at the beginning of this year. A lot of people picked them to be second in the West, but you're right. On our preview season, our SEC West preview episode, we highlighted this four-game stretch, and I said there was a greater than 0% chance that Arkansas started the season three and four. Because this four-game stretch of AM, Alabama, at Mississippi State, and at BYU next week, it's just brutal. I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't care who's healthy, who's not. That's brutal. So I think this is the best chance at a win. I think they have a better chance at a win if KJ Jefferson's healthy in this game against Mississippi State than at BYU, as weird as that sounds. But doesn't sound like KJ Jefferson's going to be ready to play. I know um, Sam Pittman has talked about that at Arkansas in his program, he wants people to have to practice before they can play. At this point, recording Wednesday night, he has not practiced this week, so it's just not looking good. Um, and on the flip side, maybe it's because they blew out my team last week, but Mississippi State looks really, really good. Hat tip to Garrett for calling that kind of in the offseason, yep. that they might be the team that sneaks up and takes second in the West, but Mississippi State looks really, really good this year. Will Rogers is just doing whatever he wants on that football field. 
Mike Leach is uh, considering running the ball. So that's fun and that's different. So especially in Arkansas secondary that has just been picked apart by everyone that they played. Give me Mississippi State covering that spread. Yeah, Garrett's on Mississippi State as well. That means all three of us back in the Bulldogs this weekend. Let's go to the Big 12. Texas Tech visiting number seven, Oklahoma State. The Cowpokes, nine and a half point favorites here in this game. That is Saturday, FS1 at 2.30 p.m. I tell you what, if you're a Big 12 fan, just camp out on FS1 through the first two windows and you should see some pretty good football. It's an exciting time to be a Big 12 fan. Uh, Texas Tech three and two. Oklahoma State is four and zero. They came off of a very impressive win in Waco a week ago over the Baylor Bears. It really feels like Oklahoma State is now the team to beat in the Big Twelve. So for my money, you combine an explosive offense with a really strong defense at home, plus a Texas Tech team that that has a turnover problem. I mean, Donovan Smith can can win you the game. He can also lose it for you with turnovers. Give me the pokes minus the nine and a half. I know that's a big number against an offense that can put up points in response with the Red Raiders, but I just feel a lot more confident back in Mike Gundy and uh, in Oklahoma State at home for sure this week. I'm right there with you. And if you're a tech fan listening to this podcast, I know we have a lot of tech fans out there. It's not a panic button if Oklahoma State wins this game or even covers or even maybe wins by a little bit more than the spread. It's not a panic button situation. This is the juggernaut team in the Big 12 this year. Oklahoma State is a legit playoff contender. They've got a great quarterback in Spencer Sanders. They've got a great defense. And it's it's no shame going into Stillwater and struggling in this game. Tech, even if they lose this game, is ahead of schedule, right? I think, you know, we highlighted their just impossibly difficult opening to the schedule this year when we were talking about can Tech make a bowl in year one. I still think that's more than on the table. Um, down the stretch I think they've gotten through the stretch even if they lose to Oklahoma State they're three and three I can find three more wins on the schedule so Oklahoma State they're the juggernaut team I'm picking them to cover this spread Uh, Garrett's got them covering as well Garrett's even got them as his stone cold lock of the week so I'm excited to see just how far this Oklahoma State team can go The Big 12 looks like it's bananas. I don't know if they can go through unscathed with all these just crazy offenses. And in 2022, it looks like just chaos is going to happen. But if any team's going to go through this schedule unscathed, I think it's Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's quickly becoming Oklahoma State's conference to lose. Of course, I mean, there's so much of the schedule left. And well, if anything... Uh, that the first quarter of the season has taught us it's that chaos lurks around every single corner. So would not shock me if uh, if they got to the end of the year and had had suffered a bump or two. But for right now, I think Oklahoma State is the uh, runaway favorite. Let's go to a game that we really wish we didn't have to talk about. Texas A&M on the road in Tuscaloosa. Number one, Alabama is a 24-point favorite. This is the biggest dog that Jimbo has ever been in his head coaching career. If you care to watch this game, which I would advise you not to, Saturday night at 7 p.m. on CBS. It is their primetime game of the week. Texas A&M was described as a Ferrari with flat tires this week by Josh Pate of Late Kick Josh. I completely agree. They have so much talent. They have so much skill. And yet this offense is dreadful. And there's just not a single thing that I can hang my hat on other than Bryce Young potentially being out for Alabama that makes me think that A&M could could come close to covering this. Their defense is very solid overall. Now, rushing defense has been a disaster because DJ Durkin, for whatever reason, refuses to put a fourth lineman on the line of scrimmage. Texas A&M has gone from a top 10 annual rush defense. I mean, you've never been able to run against the Aggies. It's certainly not in the last, I don't know, five to seven years to all of a sudden they are ranked 94th in rush defense. I mean, it is abysmal. You got beat on the ground last week by Mississippi State, not necessarily through the air, but oh, by the way, Will Will Rogers got whatever he wanted through the air as well. I, you know, Jalen Milrow may, may have to be the quarterback for Alabama this week. I still think Jameer Gibbs could run for 200 unless DJ Durkin decides to to change up his scheme, the offense. I, we don't know who the AM quarterback will be. Max Johnson suffered a hand injury. Uh, there's a lot of calls for Connor Wegman, which 
I'm not in the camp that's rooting for a true freshman to get his first start on the road in Tuscaloosa. I know there are plenty that are, but I'm going to take the Tide minus 24. I just I can't convince myself that A&M scores enough points to keep this keep this anywhere close. Yeah, I'm 100% picking with my heart here. I'm going to take A&M to cover the 24-point spread. Give me 24 points. That's a 100% heart pick. That's just me not being able to pick my team to lose by that many points. So all signs point to Bama running away from this. If you're looking for hope as an Aggie fan, all signs pointed to Bama running away with it last year, and somehow the Aggies pulled it out behind Zach Calzada and a hope and a prayer and a dream. So maybe you can ride that again this year. Maybe you can find some magic in years ending with two. Reggie McNeil, freshman quarterback. Beats number one Oklahoma in 2002. Johnny Manziel, freshman quarterback, beats Alabama in 2012. Maybe Connor Wegman slides in there as a freshman quarterback and beats Alabama. But listen, if you're looking for AM to win this game, you're literally betting on a hope and a prayer. So if DJ Durkin, if he comes out there with a three man front against a run first quarterback and a Heisman candidate running back, I. I just don't know what to say because that that just seems grossly incompetent. That's justified to be fired on the spot to me as a fan, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm hopeful. I'm really bummed, even as an AM fan, that networks have always kind of just cowered to CBS's night game. CBS always announces when their doubleheader is going to be. And other networks just kind of don't try to compete with that. And we see that this year. There's not a lot of other good night games. So oh. this is going to have all the attention of everybody. And I don't love that as an AM fan. You mentioned that it would be asinine for DJ Durkin to run a three-man front out against a mobile quarterback who's got potential Heisman aspirations. Um, and I would see you and raise you Arkansas because that's exactly... Uh-huh. Yeah. that's exactly what he did against KJ Jefferson. And you took the... It took the oink-doink to get out of Arlington with a win. So sad times well, in Aggieland. I think you're going to be three and three heading into a bye week. And this year, you know, with KJ Jefferson, at least KJ Jefferson has a more established threat of a downfield passing attack. Like you could yeah. see maybe he's just trying to take away that big play, but Jalen Milrow at this point in his career is a run first quarterback. We saw that last week against Arkansas. Yep. You got a good secondary, let them cook, let them cover guys, let them, Feast or famine, and please, please, please just try to commit more guys to stopping the run. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Or maybe we won't see. Maybe we'll have to close our eyes uh, midway through the first quarter. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on Sunday, I'm sure. Number 16, BYU, and one of the strangest lines of the week. They are in Las Vegas, of all places, at Allegiant Stadium to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who are three-and-a-half-point favorites two time zones away. This is Saturday, NBC, 6.30 p.m. Uh, to add further confusion to the to the situation, BYU is a 4-1 and one record. Notre Dame is a 2-2 two and two record. Now, Notre Dame is coming off a bye week. But why on earth is Notre Dame favored in this game on the road? I think it might be because the fan base they're playing against is not allowed to bet on this game just for various regions. But man, I don't know. Like this, this line does not make sense. Usually we would both, I think subscribe to the thought that you steer into that when the line doesn't make sense, you steer into it and you take the team that's favored, but I just can't bring myself to do that. Now this game is in a weird spot. It's in Las Vegas. This is part of the shamrock series for Notre Dame. So they, are playing one of their home games in an NFL stadium, but usually that's in like Chicago or New York or Boston or somewhere that has more of an established Notre Dame presence. So this is just a weird one all around. And I got to throw in a personal anecdote real quick. My doing this podcast has brought my personal Twitter feed to just some weird corners of college football, Twitter. Um, for some reason, the BYU uh, BYU Twitter has come up in my algorithm a lot this week. And, Watching those guys figure out what they can and can't be allowed to do in Vegas has just been fascinating. So if you find yourself on Twitter this week, try to find BYU Twitter. They're trying to play in Top Golf and the M&M store and all this other uh, very kid-friendly Vegas stuff. So just a funny side note. But the game itself, I'm way more confident in BYU than I am in Notre Dame right now. I know Notre Dame 
looked really good against North Carolina. North Carolina has a very suspect defense. I think BYU's defense is more consistent. And I like Jaron Hall. I like his ability to move the football down the field. I think he's going to be more consistent as well. So I'm taking BYU plus three and a half as my lucky dog of the week. I think I am too. I think they're the more physical team. If Notre Dame was at home, I'd think about steering into this line, but they're not. They're in Vegas. So given the more physical team, the team that does not have to travel two time zones away, um, I'm on BYU as my lucky dog of the week as well. Garrett is, is also taking the Cougars. All right, so those are your main screen TV games. Uh, whether you choose to watch them or, or you're kind of forced to watch them, as we talked about with the AM Alabama game, uh, good luck. Let us know how that goes. But there's always a second screen. This is 2022. Come on. There's always a second screen. Here are our offerings very quickly for those second screen games. Uh, Trail, throw them out in, in a couple here. We'll, we'll do a three pack, we'll do a two pack. Michigan. Fourth ranked team in the country. They are 22 point favorites on the road uh, in Bloomington to take on Indiana. You've got Auburn on the road against number two, Georgia. The dogs are 30 point favorites in this rivalry game, which is astounding. And then you've got number three, Ohio State on the road against Michigan State. They are 27 point favorites. Which of those three stands out to you? And if you had to watch one of those games, which one would it be? I think the most potential to be an interesting game for four quarters is that Michigan-Indiana game. Indiana's looked very competent on offense. The defense is a completely different story, but um, they've looked pretty confident on offense. You know, Indiana's usually good for a surprise game, either winning a game they shouldn't or playing a close game uh, that they weren't necessarily expected to every year under Tom Allen. So, I think that has the most potential. Now, do I think that they're going to win against Michigan at home? Absolutely not. I think this is a big opportunity for a net crack game for Michigan. They've kind of struggled a little bit the last couple weeks against Iowa and Maryland. So this could be a get right game for them for sure. But biggest potential to be an actually interesting game is definitely that one. On the other side of the state of Michigan, holy cow, could things get bad in East Lansing this week because (laughs) – I don't know how they're going to stop Ohio State. I don't know how they're going to score points against Ohio State. That 27-point spread that Ohio State's bringing into East Lansing could be covered by halftime. I I don't know how you feel about that game, but I'm not expecting that one to be pretty for the guys in green. Yeah, so I'm on two underdogs here and then a favorite. I, I would say Indiana keeps it closer than 22 for the reasons that you mentioned. I love Connor Bazelak throwing the ball all over the the lot. Just a potential for Indiana. He's more comfortable at Indiana this year. He didn't always look comfortable at Mizzou, but he looks way more comfortable and having fun at Indiana. To be honest, I don't know if anybody looks comfortable at Mizzou. Um, (laughs) So that's that's a fair point. So I'd back Indiana in that game. Nine win Indiana. It's not dead yet. It's it's certainly on life support, but we're we're not out of the fight completely. Give me Auburn plus the 30. That is an insultingly high number. And listen, I know I know Auburn is bad. I know that Brian Harson is probably, this is Harson's last stand, and he probably gets fired after this game just because it seems like a natural place to part ways with a, a dead man walking. But still, like 30 points, that is brutally high. And, and Georgia didn't exactly blow the doors off Kent State or Miami. So you got to figure Auburn maybe finds a way to keep it within four scores. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll take the Tigers. Ohio State, though, you're right. Michigan State is bad. They are not good. They are maybe really regretting that $95 million extension that they gave to Mel Tucker. Um, but I think the offense for Ohio State is, is just too much. That Michigan State secondary sucks. They're awful. And uh, I think C.J. Stroud might throw for 500 yards. Yeah, that Auburn-Georgia game, just circle back to that one real quick. I can't believe that line is 30. When I saw that, I thought it was a typo. But (laughs) thinking about it a little bit more, if Georgia can score 31, I think they might cover that because I don't know that Auburn's going to score. I I, I just, yeah, a shutout is a very real possibility. This is a huge rivalry game. If you're not familiar, a lot of people think, you know, Auburn, Alabama is the biggest rivalry. This is Georgia's biggest rival in the SEC. And Georgia Tech obviously is a big one too. But, in the SEC, this is Georgia's biggest rival. So I could see them wanting to kind of have a net crack game there as well. And 
if Georgia covers that spread, Harson's doesn't make it to Monday. <laughs> Harson doesn't get to ride with the team out of the stadium. He he gets left no. between maybe stuffed into one of the hedges. I don't know. Um, other two games on our radar here. We'll get to a couple of group of five games as well. Kansas State, Armageddon, my friend. Kansas State, two-point favorites on the road in Ames to take on Iowa State. Uh, my analysis is, man, I love farming. Give me Kansas mm-hmm. State minus the two. Garrett's on Kansas State as well. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. Uh, man, I love farming. I, you know, kind of a weird line, though. I think Kansas State only be, being favored by two gives me a little bit of cause for pause. But sure. I just don't know what we've seen in Iowa State this so far this year that's going to give me confidence to pick them. When it's a two-point spread, you're basically saying that they can win the game. And I just don't see that they have the ability to win that game against an explosive Kansas State offense. I don't know how they stop Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. I don't know how anyone stops them right now. That is a just dynamic duo running the football. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, gosh, you look at the way that they lost to to Kansas last week. The thing that I will say in favor of Iowa State, they are at home. And Matt Campbell and that team, they have had every single bad break you could possibly get. I mean, losing a game 14-11 to 11 because your freshman kicker misses three field goals, including not a chip shot, but, I mean, he hooked that thing hard left. Never even had yeah. a prayer of going through. Uh, something's got to go right for him eventually, or he just needs to leave and take another job. I don't know. Um, so I can I could see Iowa State being competitive, but yeah, you're basically asking me to pick who wins this game with this spread and give me Kansas State. Uh, no doubt about it. Other game, Iowa at Illinois. Illinois, three and a half point favorites. Uh, the Fighting Illini are looking like Big Ten West contenders. They just uh, embarrassed Wisconsin last week, got Paul Christ fired. Burt Bielema has looked like he's fit into the Midwest once again. That offense is clicking. The defense is standing strong. Give me the Illini. Minus the three and a half. I, I don't know how Iowa scores on them, to be honest. This is going to be one of the ugliest games that we have this entire week. Maybe this entire season, just with the two styles that these two teams play. Give me a 10-4 to 4 final with Iowa scoring two safeties, but Illinois coming out on top. So that is, it's going to be ugly. It's going to set the game of football back 20 years, but... I think Illinois comes out on top. Just just an unhealthy game to partake in uh, visually. A couple of group of five games to make you aware of. Both of these are Friday night kicks. We've got Houston at Memphis. Uh, the Tigers are three-point favorites. And then you've got UNLV at San Jose State. Spartans are seven-point favorites. Which way are you leaning in, in both of these games? I know you've been high on UNLV. Houston is obviously just a train wreck. Um, it seems like... You know, I kind of know which way I'm leaning, but I'll let you go first here. Yeah, Marcus Arroyo and UNLV, just like I said on Sunday, one of the quietly great turnaround stories this year. They've kind of been overshadowed by bigger stories like Kansas and Syracuse and teams like that. But UNLV being four and one and having hope this deep into the season is just a great story. And so I was kind of surprised to see them seven point dogs to San Jose State. I think that might be just a little bit of, you know, trying to catch the betting public off guard. Maybe the public isn't caught up with UNLV actually being competent. So I'm going to take them as a seven-point dog on the road Friday night. Houston's dead to me. I, I'm not going to pick Houston to <laughs> cover or win any game until proven otherwise. So Houston is absolutely dead to me. I think Colgo is maybe on the hot seat if he doesn't rage quit after losing this game to Memphis. He's definitely on the hot seat. Yeah, Hogo might be gonzo uh, towards the end of the season. It started out like it felt like it was such a promising season, right? I mean, again, I'm not ashamed to admit I had them picked as a playoff dark horse this year's Cincinnati potentially and uh, anything but that so no. far. Uh, yeah. I'm on I'm on Memphis. I'm on UNLV as well, both on Friday night. All right, let's wrap up this show with the ledger, which uh, Garrett's not here to defend – his 0-4 record last week. He's also not here to go first like we had in the first edition of the podcast that didn't make it to the airwaves. Uh, but uh, with that being said, Garrett uh, is giving myself, he, he's giving me Nebraska minus three, their favorites in Piscataway. Uh, he's taking Rutgers plus the three. 
I got to say, weird things happen in Piscataway, especially especially on weeknights. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a smart bet. And he's giving you Navy. Navy plus five and a half against Tulsa. Really tough to bat, back the midshipmen. I know that they barely lost to Air Force last week, but gosh, Tulsa is an equally pesky opponent to have to play. Um, I, I, I like his picks this week, I will say. I think he's going to have a nice bounce back week because I am not excited to have the midshipmen. That Rutgers-Nebraska game, we didn't get a chance to really break that down. That is going to be fascinating. Like I, I don't know what the Sickos committee has pegged as their game of the week this week, but if it's not Rutgers-Nebraska, I don't know what it is because Friday night, Piscataway, New Jersey, two teams that just, you know, one fired their coach a couple weeks ago, the other one is Rutgers, and... Crazy things are going to happen. When you can just describe a program by naming it (laughs) and and all the context goes with it, you're you're in a sicko special. Um, I could see Nebraska winning this by 14. I could see them losing this by 14. I could see Rutgers winning this by 24. Like anything could happen. Yeah. Anything could happen. No kidding. I mean, this is truly a just flip a coin and, and see what happens game. Uh, Trey, I went four and last week. Somehow I didn't really even think that would ever be possible in our current ledger format. I'm going to stick you with ULM. Now you've backed ULM before by, by force, and you were an outright winner with the fighting Terry Bowdens. I'm going to make you go for broke. I'm going to make you do it again. I'm going to give you ULM at home, but hosting the coastal Carolina Chanticleers, the Shanties can beat you in, in numerous ways. Their offense is extremely difficult to prepare for. Uh, I, I like I like the uh, the teal chickens on the road, minus 13.5. Garrett, I'm going to stick with Central Michigan. Really weird team, fire up chips, but they're 1-4. They've been in some, com- some competitive games. They've found some weird ways to lose. They're 7.5-point favorites over a plucky ball state team that throws the ball all over the lot. I wouldn't be shocked to see Ball State win this outright. They're just two and three, but they can move the football a little bit. So give me the candy on the road. I'm going to back the Cardinals here. I'll take them against Garrett. I love my Shanties. I'm I'm bummed that I have to slightly root against them this week, but they are allergic to covering the spread so far this year. So um, <laughs> I haven't looked up their record against the spread. I don't think it's very good. So I'm not... Uh, I don't love backing Terry Bowden and ULM, but you know, (laughs) I'm looking for hope here. So I'll go ahead and run through my two picks real quick. Garrett, I'm picking two of Garrett's darlings actually this week, one against him. Uh, I'm going to go with Duke minus three and a half at Georgia tech. Uh, One of the things Garrett outlined when he was talking about why he was giving me Navy is he didn't want to pick bad teams to show up two weeks in a row. That's my philosophy with Georgia tech as well. Now, I know they went into Pittsburgh last week and knocked off a ranked pit team. And we all saw that coming for sure. We all could have called that, (laughs) but I think the letdown is going to be real this week. Duke looks really good. Duke looks really competent. I think Duke is playing for Duke's not quite there. Actually. I thought they were playing for bowl eligibility this week, but they would have to win one more to be bowl eligible. But I think they win. I think they win comfortably three and a half point spread at Georgia tech. Mitch, we're going back to Farmageddon for this one, and I was looking for one that we didn't talk about. I just couldn't find one that I loved as much as this two-point spread for Kansas State. We talked about it when we talked about the game. You're telling me you're asking me who's going to win this game when it's a two-point spread. I think it's Kansas State. I just can't talk myself into Kansas State losing to Iowa State. Yeah, I can't really tell you how Iowa State wins this game other than, I don't know, Kansas State turning the football over a lot, and they haven't really done that this year. So... I do think I'm gonna I'm gonna take an L there. Um, I love that pick against Georgia Tech. I mean, gosh, like <laughs> I, I want to root for the Yellow Jackets. Um, I, I love their Adidas Boost 2.0s. Uh, shout out, shout out to to those shoes. Those look sharp. But holy cow, man! I mean, this this feels like all right. You got your one. You you you, you won a game that you shouldn't have, and now it's gonna be back to business as usual. So. Uh, I do like that pick. Although I will say the one thing that we figured out through the ledger, we hand each other wins every single week. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, against a team, it's it's a fifty fifty. You cover and win the pick, or the other side of the coin is the other team wins outright. It's not even just like a cover; it's just full blown upset. So, 
it's it's been really interesting to monitor throughout this season, and uh, I'm excited for for another week of ledger picks. My friend, we have recorded a lot of podcasts tonight and have talked have. to the microphones for a long time. If you are wondering, well, guys, this is only an hour long podcast. What are you talking about? Uh, again, we had some technical difficulties. It's why Garrett's not here with us. This is the third edition of this podcast that we've recorded tonight. We are thrilled to be landing this plane and giving you a whole product and uh, certainly hope that you guys have enjoyed that uh, tonight. Of course, follow us on our social media at 3TechPod. Let us know who you're back in this week. If you've got a spicy line that you've picked out, you're back in one side, you think that it's just absolute suicide to be on the other side, whatever it might be. Uh, if, if you've got a big upset that you, you're predicting, let us know. Slide in our DMs, uh, tweet us, You know, do whatever you need to do to get a hold of us. We'll be tweeting out and, and posting much more Instagram comment. We we debuted some videos, some just real quick chat sessions last week. We plan on continuing that this week. And Trey, we should be all together in person this week to watch games. I'm really excited for it, my friend. Yeah, excited to have you guys over. I need to go check on my wife because she's either in bed or just very worried about where I am because I've been <laughs> gone for a long time. So that's we'll a, wrap this one up there. <laughs> that's right. That sounds like a very natural end of the podcast. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening once again to our week six preview. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs)